the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. I feel like you've done that one. But not today. No. That's my Friday. That's my Friday move. That's what I do on Fridays. (laughs) All right. That's fair. Mondays are now going to be this. Hello. I don't like where this is going (laughs) at all. You want me to go back to my robotic just, you know. No, just somewhere between robotic and and screaming. It's Friday, man. I'm excited. Happy Friday. (laughs) You do love Fridays. You love Fridays more than any grown adult I know. Is that right? I think so. Good for me. (laughs) Good for me. Congratulations, me. Awesome. (laughs) You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find our podcast wherever we do our podcasts. And uh, that other voice you heard is Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad you're joining us. And it's just going to be one of those days, I think. Mm-hmm. I think you are right. I think it's going to be one of those days, which is uh, which is fun for us. Good for the listener. The weather is weathery. It's very weather out there. It's very Friday. So Friday, the weather. Yes. So happy Friday, people. <laughs> speaking of. Speaking uh, of. So school's getting started. Uh, my daughter today uh, started back sophomore year of high school. And uh, next week, my she starts on a Friday. Isn't it? Weird? Not only starts on a Friday, but it's a half day. Why? Why? Don't do that. Get in line for people asking that question, man. Because oh. <laughs> it is like you're like, well, you kind of lose the weekend. Like what? Yeah, so I want to protest. So now. my elementary school kids start next week, I believe, on Wednesday or Thursday, which feels better to me. Getting like a short week. Yes. And then you go. But yeah, no half day on Friday. That's Ugh, what we go with. Gross. Homeschooling. Uh, now, freshmen, I believe, have been in for longer. So. Um, but yeah, starting school, uh, the kind of the summer coming to an end a little bit. And mm-hmm. and with that in mind, not for this year, but for next year, there was a major story that you probably saw if you uh, are from Illinois, uh, as most of us are. And it's this. Let me read the, the article here. Uh, the governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, has signed a bill that mandates the teaching of LGBTQ history in all public schools. The law officially titled House Bill 246 Uh, was introduced by Representative Anna Moeller in a bid to make the history curriculum more inclusive. The bill states that in public schools, only the teaching of history shall include a study of the roles and contributions of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people in the history of this country and this state. The new legislative measure also includes a section which grants the state education department the power to enforce new rules and guidelines that will, quote, ensure the religious neutrality of the textbook block grant program. The textbook block grant is a program that provides annual funding for the direct purchase of selected secular textbooks that have been pre-approved and designated by the state board of education. In a statement of commitment to the LGBTQ community, Pritzker declared that the LGBTQ community won't just have a seat at the table. They will be equal partners in the fight to make equality a lived reality 
for all. He also vowed to fight back against Donald Trump with regards to LGBTQ rights, accusing the GOP of having a bigoted agenda. And let me jump just to the end. Uh, It says not everyone was as happy with the new guidelines, however, with many saying it was wrong to have mandatory politically biased classes on such a contentious issue. Gay or straight, you do you do you tweeted activist CG CJ Pearson, but forcing children to learn LGBTQ history as a required component of their public ed school education has nothing to do with equality. So that's the article. That's the law. That's the bill that's been passed. What say you, Ian? Simpson? Wow. Thank. Thank you for that, Brian. Thanks for this. <laughs> this is why I don't like Fridays. This is... <laughs> I went Friday. It's easy. It's, oh, let's talk about this. You're like, controversy, controversy, controversy. Just wait. Thoughts? To, just wait till you see some of the other ones that are coming today. Much I'm, much I'm aware. Easier. I'm aware. I'm aware. OK, so there's another article yep. where this I have this quotes in this one from uh, State Senator Heather Steens. Steens. Is that right? It looks like it. Uh, she said one of the best ways to overcome intolerance is through education and exposure to different people and viewpoints which I agree with that later says uh, it's my hope that teaching students about the valuable contributions LGBTQ individuals have made throughout history will create a safer environment with fewer incidents of harassment. I think that's also probably true. And then lastly, she says LGBTQ children and teenagers will also be able to gain new role models who share life experiences with them. So uh, the statement at the end that you read about politically biased. No, what did it say? Yeah, politically biased classes on such contentious issues. Does this strike you as a purely politically biased move, or is it possibly more nuanced than that? Oh, I think it's both. I think it's politically motivated and a little more nuanced, okay. depending on what you uh, think of the issue. But the fact that Pritzker was quoted as saying we're trying to fight back against Donald Trump is... Yeah, but that, that lays some of the some of those cards on the table right but there. But let's just say, yeah, but if we if we cut the legs out from every movement because of one of the spokespersons saying something crazy, we would still be cavemen. Like we like you can't well, I'm just suggesting it's not one of the spokesmen, it's the governor who signed the bill. Yeah, who, but there's a lot okay, but just because he said that though, does that mean that not a, purely any, political, I don't think. Or I, even that any of the potential benefit of it like we could we okay let's talk in like really plain terms mm-hmm. um we know that by and large lgbtq children uh tend to be bullied far more than straight ones uh or attempting suicide at much higher rates there is a legitimate safety issue it seems for lgbtq children in the public sphere uh so regardless of what you think of pritzker or even just that statement alone is there some, does that undercut any of the potential value in your mind for something like this to create safer places for LGBTQ children? I guess I would want to I guess I would want to say when it comes to history classes, let's, uh, I guess I don't understand the, the need necessarily to be doing this very specific history, right? Like, How would you do it then? I would just teach history. Like, Not the history part, the other the other part of this statement that's coming. You're, you're saying, well, I, okay, yeah, but don't do it in history class. No, no, I'm not saying don't do it in history class. I'm saying... Uh, why do we have to be categorizing like, hey, now we're doing LGBTQ history. Now we're doing uh, as opposed to like, let's just tell the story of history. This feels also it's 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 unquestionably a hot button topic right now. Right. Like I have I have kids in class there. They are going to be affected by this. And just to be honest with you, and I probably can't even uh, in the two minutes we have right now, say it clearly. It bothers me. Okay. Like I feel like these are things I should be able to discuss with my children you at home. You still can, though. I understand that. 
but why the, does why does a class teaching about the contributions of LGBTQ people bother you and make it feel like that's something that I'm confident that these uh, these textbooks and such are not going to be a neutral like this is just what has been done. I think that uh, I I this feels like uh, this feels agenda driven to me. It it does. So it based feels, on your feeling of the motives or the curriculum that you've not seen, you think, yeah, not a good idea. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. And I, I believe me, I will look at it when my kids get I'm, it next yes, year. Yes, I have no, no <laughs> doubt. No, so I let's say you look at it, though, and you're like, actually, pretty even-handed, kind of just stating the facts, doesn't seem bias-driven. Would you still be upset? I would still want to know what's the purpose. What's the point? Like, but I don't... She states the point, though. I, I don't think... I, I guess I don't necessarily buy into the point. The point uh, that, that LGBTQ gets. children don't feel safe or aren't safe in a lot of public spheres. You don't buy that? I, I mean, to be honest with you, this is just anecdotal. Like what only I know from through my kids. Yeah. It, it's almost the pendulum in our public schools has almost swung the other way. Like in my kids high school. But I'm saying that's just my experience. I'm not saying that that's everybody's experience. I'm not saying kids aren't bullied. Uh, so don't hear that from me. But that's all I'm uh, hearing. This feels that. Anyway, this feels agenda driven much the same way when people are like, we need to when you and I have read the stories, they need to be teaching the Bible in history class. We've also railed against those. This feels <laughs> yeah. this feels the same thing to me just on the other side yeah, is what that's it fair. feels. That's fair. Uh, but it is it is I it is a little murky. So we'd love to hear what people have to say. The Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Twitter at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next uh, says this one improve your life. Just learn to say no. No. There you go. Your life is better. I feel improved already. Coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome to Smooth <laughs> Jams. Here on The Common Good. I gotta go deeper. You gotta. Here on The Common Good. Can you go deeper? I cannot. <laughs> On AM 1160, hope for your life. Hope for my life. My name is Brian Fromm. My name is Cool Master J. Just pull up a chair, people. Here on this Friday afternoon. Grab a candy cigarette. <laughs> candy cigarette. <laughs> oh, we are loopy today, folks. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. We are glad to have you joining us today. They might not be glad. <laughs> They've already switched the channel. <laughs> But it fit the music, right? It did fit the music. It did fit the music. Well, we're glad to have you join us today. Uh, found an article on at theguardian.com, uh, and we teased it this way with the title, Want to Improve Your Life? Just Learn to Say No. No. When you ask someone to say how they are, 95% of the time they will answer with some version of busy, good but busy, or even sometimes crazy busy. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> busy has become a badge of honor, mm. a signifier of success, a humble brag that implies we are important and in demand. But if you really are too busy, chances are you are not saying no. Mm. Enough. And the article goes on to say that many of us struggle to say no because we fear rejection, anger, or just the uncertainty of what other person's response will be. Do you think they're right here that when we say we're busy, it doesn't mean we're important. It just means that we're taking too much on. We're not saying no and that we become healthier people as we begin to learn to say no. Uh, that's a little too reductionistic for me, but I do certainly I don't I absolutely know the feeling of like, oh, I feel kind of valuable because of how busy i am 
or you know, there's a little bit of joy. You ever get a little bit yep. of joy telling somebody how busy you are? Oh yeah, that's oh, why we do it. Oh gosh, when someone's like, "Hey, can we get coffee sometime?" Like, yeah, what are you doing in four weeks? <laughs> like, wow, this guy is busy. Uh, that's that's lost its luster with me over the last probably five years. Doesn't mean I'm any better at saying no, but yeah, that idea yeah. of the intrinsic like, oh, I want not only to be valued, but to know, I want other people to know that I'm valued too. That's a pretty depraved, unfortunate yeah. thing to yeah. see in yourself. But it's true though. And I think, yeah, I think saying no is probably in some sense at the core of that. So billionaire, it says later on, Warren Buffett, uh, I've heard of him. said this, he says this, yeah, chew on this one. Successful people say no to almost everything. Oof. He says, saying no allows you to say yes to what is important to you. It allows you to be a better person because when you say yes, it comes from a good place, not from resentment or fear. It creates space for what matters most to you rather than drowning in busyness like most of us are. And he goes earlier, we read this in his book, The Power of No, entrepreneur and author James Altucher writes, when you say yes to something you don't want to do, here's the result. You hate what you're doing. You resent the person who asked you and you hurt yourself Mm. when it is coming from a place of subtle manipulation or even resentment. Can saying yes when you mean no ever be a good thing? I'm going to lay cards on the table and say this is a big struggle for me. In in what way specifically? I am a uh, I am a card carrying uh, paying man uh, people pleaser people pleaser. That's better people pleaser. And so. Oftentimes for me, the issue is not I want to feel or sound more important by having all this stuff. I don't like being busy. I like when I've got nothing in the evening and I'm at home with oh, my kids. Gotcha. Like I'm not looking for people's affirmation about being busy. You just want to make people happy. I struggle with disappointing mm-hmm. people. And so can I meet with you? Sure. Let's get this in. I'm, disapp- I'm disappointed be- that you're wired oh, that way. It's bro. killing me. <laughs> uh, so I've gotten better at putting boundaries around family time okay, and good. stuff like this. But it's never like no... Or wait for we. It's like, let me get it in as quickly. Hey, can you do this? Yes, I can do this. Mm. I tend to take stuff on because I don't want people to be disappointed in me, much yeah. less than I want to feel important. And uh, But the result is the same. Saying yes to things you wished you said no to and feeling hectic and over busy and that kind of stuff. Okay, so do you, is the only road to healing from that facing enough regret where you said yes to the thing you didn't want to and then the thing you really did want to do? Now you couldn't do, but you already committed to the last thing. Like, does that just happen enough times? You're like, okay, I got to get this under control. Yeah, like enough times that you're like trying, like you haven't been able to get to your sermon or you haven't, you know, right. you've had to get out early another time where, or yeah. Even bigger events where you're like, ah, I said yes to lunch with this one guy. And then you find out later that like a, a friend that you really like is visiting from town. Yeah. Like, I can't hang out because I said yes to this thing. And you yep. like, does, do you have experiences like that where. I do. You're kicking yourself. And I also know like those feelings. And if you're out there and you've had lunch with me, I'm not talking about you, but (laughs) those times you drive to a lunch or you're driving to a coffee, I'm sure you've had this. And on your way there, you're going, why am I doing this? Hmm. Like, it's not usually somebody in your church because there's always value in that on some level, maybe not in that moment, but at some point, but like, you know, some organization has been like, can we meet with you to talk or something? And you're just like, why, why? <laughs> why did I say yes to this? <laughs> right, right. What am I doing? There's a hundred better things I can be doing right now. And uh, yeah, you asked, what do you do? He, I love this. He says, the first step to find the word no is to get a little angry about all the time, energy, and money you've spent saying yes to things that you could have said no to. That's a good suggestion. I had a mentor or two in college who used to tell us no is a complete sentence. 
You don't oh, owe yeah. people an explanation. No, I'd love to, but I can't because I'm getting my dry cleaning. And blah, blah, blah. no is a complete sentence. And the and the sooner that you he was you know speaking to a, a room full of uh, wannabe pastors, yeah, I think the more the sooner you can learn that. And which is actually you know if I'm really honest, just saying like if you were to ask me a question, uh, Ian, you want to get dinner tomorrow? And I just went no. That would feel so would feel strange, <laughs> right? And I, so I don't know that he was really saying, practically speaking, just say no, but yep. like kind of giving us courage to say, hey. It's okay to not have any other reason that you can't. It's not because often don't you find that, especially if you're a people pleaser, no, I'd love to, but I have this other thing. Like, okay, well, how about Friday? You know, mm. Oh shoot, I got you know, I actually just don't want to, but now I've set up this whole yes. Now it's this rabbit trail of like trying to squeeze it in, and then you have, you know you, you just sort of acquiesce because it's well, okay, fine, yeah, I can get we can meet at four in the morning on Friday. That's when I can make it happen. Yeah. So I'm curious what advice you would give to someone who maybe. Like like you it sits in the people pleaser seat. How do you get better at that? Um, and not just like a like an ethereal philosophical sense. Like, are there actual tips or tricks or tools that you found to be helpful to to improve there? Yeah, in this article, I think they give one. It says instead of saying yes on impulse, get into the habit of asking yourself, "Am I agreeing to this for me?" Start with small things, such as when you are offered a drink at the hairdresser's. That's an interesting one. A drink at the hairdresser's. Or if someone asks you for an insignificant favor. I'm going to sit gotta, on that one for I, a minute. I, I got to get a hairdresser. I gotta go to that place. Jeez, I've been going to Supercuts. <laughs> no drinks there. Barely haircuts. <laughs> a drink at the hairdresser's. Let's just sit on that one for a yeah, second. Yeah, what that a weird good. way to end what this segment. What were we talking about? <laughs> Champagne, anyone? But I think his point is uh, start saying no to some small things and just understand the world keeps going. Yeah. And uh, and understand the important time that you re- you've reclaimed. It's not necessarily just time, but it might be time to read. You might have reclaimed time right. to be with your family. You might have reclaimed time to write your sermon or to yeah. go have the more important meeting you've been needing to have. Right. I think you can only, you've got to start taking baby steps of going, okay, actually no really, really served my life well here. And you know what? The people that I said no to don't hate me. And yeah, if they did, right. that's okay. But yep. nine times out of 10, they actually aren't mad at me. Well, and I remember Bob Goff, I think was the first person I heard talk about or he said, so many of us make to-do lists, but nobody ever makes stop doing lists. Mm. Make lists of the things you're like, you know what? I need to stop doing that. That doesn't need to be, it served its purpose, maybe at a different season of life. We just become obsessed with adding more and more on our to-do, and he goes, just think about where that leads us. We just keep adding more and yeah. more to our to-do list, and no one ever sits down and says, here are the things I need to stop doing. It's not to say there aren't times just to lead with a yes, to say, I don't know why we're meeting, but yep. let's just be curious about the possibility of getting coffee with this person. Like, yeah, that good. sometimes is really valuable to, yeah. to just say yes for the sake of saying yes. But the dichotomy for you know maybe people like you or I, where we tend to <laughs> overdo it, yeah. is to really think that through. And I think that's helpful. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Now, here, ask me something. No. Oh, I was going to say no. To <laughs> no back to you. Oh, wow. This is a real no, it's just a whole show of no's. This will be good. Let's go get a drink at the hairdresser. No. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, uh, speaking of drinks, we're going to talk about Panera. Of course we are. Coming up next, I actually just want to share a story uh, of something that happened to me, just uh, something I observed yesterday. Do at I Panera. need to be here then? Or I, you I do. Just, okay. I'll no. <laughs> Coming up next, here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your Count life. Chocula, what was that? <laughs> what did I do? Welcome back. <laughs> nope, didn't even hear it. I'll go listen back on the podcast. Yeah, Speaking fair. of podcasts, you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, anywhere else, Spotify, Stitcher, all of them. 
Twitter, you can find us at Common Good Talk, at Common Good Talk. You can also find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, both those places, we put the articles up that we've been discussing, even some that we haven't discussed. And uh, you can have some talk. Go ahead. What's, you raised your hand. Thank you for that, sir. Okay, so we brought this up earlier in the week where you, you're real strong when talking about the first two platforms for podcasts. Yeah. Right? Apple Podcasts. I was supposed Google to check, Play. yeah. And then you, so I just Googled different podcast platforms. Tell me which of these you've actually heard of. You ready? Okay. Podbean. Nope. Buzzsprout. Nope. Transistor. Nope. Simplecast. Mm-mm. Spreaker. Spreaker, that's a cool name. Smart Podcast Player. So do we think we're on these? Castos. I don't think so. I don't think so. Literally, these are top picks for best podcast hosting in 2019. Mm-hmm. I've heard of none of these. I know what PJ, producer John's uh, doing this get weekend. On it. I want to be on Spreaker. <laughs> I really want to be on Spreaker. <laughs> Do I need to explain what hosting is? Oh, uh, aren't we both we, hosting? Well, ha <laughs> So he's he's about to be demeaning, isn't he? I, no, I no, can no, hear no. it in his voice. Wait, oh. wait, going back to last segment, ask me this question again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brian. Do you know what hosting is? No. Oh, that's okay. No, we use Omni. Okay, and that's the same thing as Podbean and Spreaker and all those other ones, and they <gasps> distribute it to like the distributors like itunes spotify and does that mean we're on spreaker spreaker is a host so like it starts there we pay them to distribute it what is the internet (laughs) right it's like a search engine versus like blah blah blah. it's kind of crazy john i did know this but i was doing it for the fun of the segment (laughs) this is like when you explain a joke after the joke i don't know why it was bugging so here's how the magician does it (laughs) here's the wire plus it's a magnet go home devastated i'm the buzz killington of the show Uh, that's another one of the platforms buzzkill (laughs) you can find pj at buzzkill.com so i wanted to tell you a story that I uh, I do a lot of my sermon prep and reading and just I like to work out of um, Panera like fitness nope okay. I like to work in Panera and so I don't even have an office at my at our church we had knocked down our, you don't nope we had to knock down our offices because we needed more room and so dang look at you well no it's called having a small very confined like, defined <laughs> amount of space four corners so we had to take out yeah, we were gonna put in the coffee shop like you guys have, but just couldn't find All the right. spot. See, that feels <laughs> that feels targeted. I love your coffee shop. It's, it's a cafe, Brian. Sorry, a cafe. Full food menu now, by the way. I, Yellow Box Cafe. Really? Oh my gosh! Can I just? The food is fantastic. If I were to go there, what would you suggest I get? They have uh, protein power bowls are amazing. Wow. We have a. Uh, it's called the Boss. There's a, it's like a BLT, but with um, a fried egg. That's an amazing. There's a buffalo chicken wrap. Literally, I could rattle this off for the rest and of the I segment. And I could just walk in there off the streets, right? Uh, right yeah. off the streets, yep, from like 8 a.m. till 2 p.m. any day. Wow. Well, at our church, we have a microwave that sits on top <laughs> of a file cabinet. I've heard good things about this microwave, too, though, <laughs> for, for what it's worth. If you would like to. So anyway, because of all of that, a lot of times I'll work out of Panera, and I was doing that yesterday, and uh, I... I Every now and then, I don't know about you, I just like to people watch. So kind of oh, observing yeah. what's going on. And uh, there were two... Uh, interesting meetings going on. One, right next to me, there was a meeting of a guy, probably our age, a little older, uh, and what was uh, like a, like an older lady, probably in her 70s. Okay, and I was like, well, that's interesting, because they're clearly not mom and son. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so it turned out, as I eavesdropped, sure. uh, as you he, stalked, as he we was say. working yeah. for an organization that she supported in the past, and he was trying to get her to re-up. Got okay? it. But right by them was another 
uh, exact same looking meeting, a younger guy, probably a little older than us, hmm. and somebody in their 70s, 80s, older lady. And all of a sudden, I quickly realized that's a pastor. Like, he's a pastor. Which, which one? Uh, the one, the second meeting. Got it. So he's a pastor just meeting with her, and I totally eavesdrop. I'm going to, guilty as charged. <laughs> it was the sweetest, like, sit mm, down, where wow. he was just sitting down and caring clearly for somebody from his congregation. And I felt, like, really, like, up, like, Oh, that's awesome. Like yeah. I wanted to like go over and be like like give the guy a high five. Like, yeah. Awesome job. You're doing it. Yes. And I felt so convicted because I thought to myself, when is the last time I just sat down with uh like uh some of the older people in our church? Mm. And just for the sake of like I just want to have lunch and talk. Like no tragedy, no hospital, just, just hey, just sitting and talking. Here. So I felt simultaneously going, that guy is totally being a pastor. We've read articles about the about being a pastor is like Going after the one, not just the 99 mm-hmm. all the time. Like, I want to be like, that guy's doing it. Like, way to go. Yes. He's probably pastor of a really small church. And then I also felt really convicted and, and reminded myself, like, that's one of the things I love about being a pastor mm. is sitting down with people of all ages and all backgrounds who who call our church their home. And sometimes I feel like I get in this rat race of being really busy where the thing that I love doing, I don't do Mm. and don't get to do very often. I actually found myself a little bit jealous of the guy. Like, all right, I'm reading for my sermon, which is really important. Yes. Right. But going, man, that guy's having lunch. Like, what's what are they talking about? What's good? And I I don't even know the point of the story except to go. It was a great reminder of me of going, Okay, that that is the easily forgotten thing about being a pastor. Well, not even just the pastor thing. Like, I think you touched on it, though, to ask yourself regularly, I think, what makes your heart beat fast? Yeah. Like so often that gets choked out by the stuff that we have to do. And a lot of it is really good stuff. Like you said, you know, preparing for a sermon. It's not Mm -hmm. only important, but you enjoy it and you're good at it. And so it's not, you know. Oh gosh, I was scrubbing something and I hate doing that and I really want to be doing this, but to hit pause and ask, like, oh man, is this does this make me come alive? Does this yeah. stir my affections for Christ? Is this whatever you know, whatever line of question is helpful? And I think that is it's actually what was so bizarre about when I was at Poplar Creek, we had one of the most like beautifully intergenerational communities. It's awesome. And people would ask me all the time, like, what's your secret? Well, what curriculum are you using? What approach? What strategy? And every time I was like, ah, I think just treat people like they matter because they do, mm, you know, like it, yeah. it, I didn't have anything cool to, to say. And I think the reason that interaction was moving to you is like, Oh, that's right. That's the just person on person. Yep. There's no code red. It's just you matter. And I care about you. And I want you to know that you're loved. I yep. think that honestly, and we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's why I think we're seeing a Mr. Rogers resurgence. Uh, that's they were saying like, Oh man, we need more of that kind of presence in the culture and in the world. I yeah. think. So you've been at, uh, small slash medium church and now you're at a really big church. Yeah. Do you get that opportunity at the big church? And if not, is that something you miss from the small church? Is that something that to use your language kind of gets you going and, and that you like to do as a pastor? I actually do get to, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, twice yesterday I was able to, it's, it, it still is a pretty central part of my role. It's awesome. Um, which because I think big churches like yours get a bad rap for they do. You're just a faceless number and you don't get to. So it's cool to hear that. No, I get to do this. With and people. not everyone wants to numbers wired to, you know, yeah. some people are and it's it is one of the unique, same is true at our church, big right, church or yeah, small church. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's that's one of the things I actually really appreciate about in in a church like ours. There's uh, and Dave and John have been this way, I think, for 30 years, like really helping people lean into their giftedness, leaning mm-hmm. into their passion areas. And they're they're just exceptionally open to people who say, Hey, uh, I, I don't feel like I'm being utilized well here. I kind of make a shift there. And, um, and obviously, you know, that that can be more complicated than, you know, just a conversation, but like they're willing to say, yeah, th- this is a thing that we think that you're gifted at. We want to 
free up space for you to be able to, like you said, just pastor the people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm grateful that I still, I still get a, a big part of that. Cool. I'm glad to hear that. I, I love doing that. It's why I think a lot of us became pastors in the first place. And uh, I was just reminded of it at Panera every now and then it's just staring at you and you're going, Oh, yeah. okay. That's really cool. So this segment brought to you by Panera bread, Panera bread. I do like their, you pick two and holy cow. If they sponsored us. Oh, totally. How, how do we make that happen? PJ <laughs> just got to know the right people, I guess. <laughs> Is there a phone number for Mr. Panera? Hello, Mr. 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 Panera. Panera. <laughs> I'd like your sponsorship, please. So I used to do a lot of work at a Starbucks, but now I've started doing Panera. You know why? Mm, refills on the coffee. Uh, refills on the iced tea. Oh, because you don't drink coffee. That's right. <laughs> I knew it it's was refill related. <laughs> oh, well, hopefully that, that helped you out there. And if you're a pastor out there, I'd encourage you. Uh, sometimes it's you just need to spend time with the one. Well, uh, this is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. The weekend is so close. It's close. You preaching this weekend? Yes. Uh, what are you preaching on? Bless, bless practices. We're still on bless. That's right. So we'll, uh, it's the second of the bless practices, B-L-E-S-S. The L stands for... Listen, listen. Are you at the yellow box? I am not. No, I'll be at our Lincoln Park Old Town campus. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. okay. You, I almost said, do you like preaching in the city? But I'm guessing it's the same. You're preaching, so. But is oh. there something different? It's probably oh, it's a different very event. different. Yeah, I mean, it's a totally different uh, vibe. It's a different space. It's a different context. It's yeah. It's a, I yeah. It, it's really interesting actually to be a part of a multi-site church too and be able to preach in such vastly different locations and different buildings with different tech needs and different advantages and disadvantages. Yep. And I, oh, yeah, it's, um, it's given me honestly like a, like a vision for the church. Oh, that's cool. In the last six months or so that has been so surprisingly inspiring. It's been great. How many in the city does the community have Two Lincoln Two. park and Lincoln square? Oh yeah. Okay. Are they even near each other? Lincoln park, Lincoln square. I mean, they're near-ish. City miles are different than suburb miles, Good though, point. too. Good it's point. totally... I be two miles when, away, it'd be an hour and a half drive. Whenever anyone asks me about the city and they say neighborhood, I'm like, I don't know. I know Wrigleyville and the Bean. <laughs> no kidding. You've lived here for I a know while, the city though. better okay, than okay. that. But, but when you start... Do you know where, like, Oaklawn is? That, those are the ones I start Got to struggle. Okay. Like, when someone's like, oh, I love it. I live in this. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> do you, do no. you know the... Uh, the tollways by their numbers or by their names? Oh, their numbers. Numbers. Okay. Numbers so, okay. completely. In fact, when they're like, oh, you know, when Mary DeBadges is telling us about the Dan Ryan, I'm like, right. What? Which one's the Dan Ryan? <laughs> My friend Dan? Is Dan in town? What's he doing on that? On that Dan island? Ryan's really backed up. Oh, no. Get him to a, get him to a doctor. <laughs> Poor Dan Poor Ryan. Dan. Why are we reporting on this? Mary, that's private information. <laughs> It's Friday, people. Yeah, no, it's Friday. Well, speaking of... Dan uh, Ryan is backed up. Uh, <laughs> if you're out there right now, you're like, no, Dan Ryan's going, what? You're missing our jokes. Yeah. You're missing or the joke. Or it's not that funny. Yep. Uh, so the concept of money, we often talk about money on here, about what Jesus said about money, about generosity, but wanted to tackle it from a different angle, and that's this. Should people know how much money you make? Should Is that something you should, or is that all appropriate to talk to your friends about? Uh, or family members, and what is the value? Is If there's value in that, what is the value? And if there's inappropriateness, what makes it inappropriate? So I'm curious, what do you think in theory, and maybe what do you do in practice? 
So I found this uh, article at Monster.com. I love reading at Monster.com. Do you really? At, no. Okay. I, I, I was like, oh, I've never heard I, this before. I, I, didn't, I didn't know they posted articles at all. I thought oh. it was a... Um, so I want to read a little bit because it is, it's just kind of a, it's a topic that I don't know that I have any real business <laughs> discussing. And we've never really tackled it from this angle. So it says, uh, your employer may discourage you from discussing your compensation with your coworkers. But did you know it's not actually illegal? In fact... The law gives you the right to have those conversations if you choose. Here's what you need to know about discussing your salary. Employees uh, may get the impression they're not allowed to compare pay rates or other compensation with their coworkers, but it's not uh, illegal. But it is legal to do so. It's illegal for employers to prohibit it, says David Reicher, a lawyer and CEO of LawyerReviews.com. The 1935 National Labor Relations Act specifically indicates that employees have the right to engage in concerted activities for the purpose of collective bargaining or other mutual aid or protections. He says employers are not allowed to establish establish pay secrecy policies or use a non-disclosure agreement to prevent employees from discussing their compensation. Mm-hmm. I did not know any of that. I didn't even know to ask that. It's just sort of one of those showed up in my newsfeed and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. And I am, I am curious because we're in a little different place employment wise too you're like the you're the boss of your organization right. so the qualifications or specifics i imagine are maybe a teensy bit different mm-hmm. you've talked a little bit about what is disclosed with the congregation in mm-hmm. particular but it's a lump line item right? right it's pastor and staff salary right so people probably don't know the individual specifics but maybe your staff does maybe you discuss that i'm not i'm not really sure how you how we've, you navigate this we've never discussed it as a staff okay so i would be okay if my staff did and again we're much smaller staff but um yeah i don't i don't i tend to be pretty open about money hmm. maybe in a bad way like uh no, so? maybe What's it's not bad, bad way maybe i'm giving my <laughs> maybe it's not a bad way maybe i'm assuming see i'm showing my cards here because i think i'm assuming most people would think it's bad that i'm open about my money uh but that's probably not even true so i'm uh, i'm i tend to if people ask i'll tell them what i make if uh if um you know, if family or friends and I, I tend to be pretty, pretty open in the conversation. And um, yeah, I, I guess I don't see a huge down. What do you think's the downside to keeping your salary outside of your church, uh, your other staff members? I could see some downside there. Yeah. But if, you know, one of your friends is like, hey, Ian, what do you make? What, what's the downside in telling them? Uh, it's probably more anecdotal, probably more ego driven or mm-hmm. I don't know. The downside, I wonder too, I, I, it feels like sometimes I mean, everything can be so competitive mm-hmm. and knowing what people make can sometimes make people really upset because emotions are deeply tied to our finances. Mm-hmm. So you never know how someone's going to react. You know, like I remember even I talked about this trip I took with my brothers in 2010 um, that we've been saving up for like two years. Yeah. And when I came back, there were a couple of people like, geez, what are we paying you that could afford a European trip? <sighs> frustrating. And I was like, I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yep for 40 months like i i didn't say that to him but there is a perception thing that can sometimes really be upsetting to people based on especially in a church organization where if someone's you know tithing regularly like wait we're paying you what yeah um (laughs) i don't think they would feel that way in my case but like it's i will say this the writer goes on to say the benefit of allowing people to freely discuss their compensation is that it prevents employers from controlling all market signals and in doing so hindering fair compensation. The central policy of allowing people to discuss their compensation is that it allows people to have a better ability to organize fair pay and living wages. Not only can it help it see if you're being paid fairly, it 
It also exposes discrimination, says Donna Ballman, who's an employee side employment attorney and author of Stand Up for Yourself Without Getting Fired. You may Mm. find a trend of certain classes of employees being paid less than others, such as a gender or age gap. So Mm. like talking about these things openly within an organization can be helpful, can be really helpful. And it's that last line really challenged me because, again, you and I are white men. So stereotypically, uh, not usually the ones that are like the recipients of discrimination in that regard. It makes me wonder that maybe less of standing up for ourselves, Mm. maybe like in some hypothetical business context, people that are like, quote unquote, at the top should initiate these things so that there's less discrimination for uh, age and race and gender. I just think that's a topic I've never really thought that much about. And it seems like there's a lot of a lot of teeth here. What's interesting is I've never really worked in a big organization now that I think about it. Right. I've never I've worked in the church I'm at now that I lead. You know, we got six people on staff or whatever. Uh, the church before that, while there might have been like 20 people on staff, it still felt like, you know, more family. Like I've never really worked in a church like yours or a big business organization. I mean, even here at the radio station, like, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't have any reason to know what other people make. Like, mm. as long as I know I'm making more than you, I'm good. <laughs> more than me? Yeah. <laughs> That, that's all you need to sleep at night? That's all I do. That's exciting. <laughs> I think, I'm curious what people think about this. It's a random topic. I know not one we've covered before, but like it does have me thinking. Maybe are you, do you tend to be open about what you make? Is there value in knowing what either people within your organization or even outside make? Uh, does that help you treat your money well in a certain way? So, yeah, and what are some of the cons? What are some of the cautions yeah. to doing so? You can do that at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show uh, or on Twitter at Common Good talk. Well, we're going to jump into uh, the church and politics coming up next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. One more hour to go in the week. Hopefully you're driving home, heading towards the weekend. We're glad that you're spending some time with us, either live or on the podcast. Uh, You can continue the conversation on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, spend some time this weekend. Go look at the old stuff we put on there. What if they did the both at the same time, live and the podcast? I don't know how that's even possible. How how do you not know how that's possible? Like an old podcast? Yeah. Oh, then that's possible. Well, yeah. then thanks for listening to us twice. No, I'm saying at the same time, though, what would happen? There's a rip in the space-time continuum? Like their head would just explode. That would, <laughs> yes. Listen to one and a half the speed and one and twice the speed. And <laughs> you actually play it together and it actually plays the White Album. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what happens. <laughs> what was the song that you played for us the other day at like crazy different speed and it was just the weirdest thing? Oh, uh, Dolly, Dolly Parton's Parton. Jolene. And you slowed down a bunch is amazing. And the song was like, a hundred times better at like, well, it's some, a great song anyway. It Sorry. grooves though. Sorry to the Dolly fans <laughs> out there. <laughs> we have a big Dolly base on this show, Brian from no, I, it is what we shoot for. Yes. Yeah. It slows down and it, it, it really grooves. I encourage you to Google Dolly Parton's Jolene slowed down. I think you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised. You will be. It's the hard hitting stuff you get here <laughs> on the common good every Monday through Friday from four to six. Uh, we are glad that you're with us. Well, 
uh, at Pathios, and we, we tend to like to go to Pathios because they give you all sorts of different blogs there from different angles. Uh, and, and this is kind of a hot button one right now, but it's titled this by the authors, uh, someone by the name of Susan Wright. Uh, and Susan, uh, Susan writes this, uh, the silence, uh, <laughs> sorry, the silence of the American church is deafening. Let me just read the beginning. Where are the strong Christian voices standing up, uh, standing on what is biblically right rather than politically expedient? That's a question the church in the United States need to be asking herself. When did our witness to the world become secondary to political gain? This is a theme that I've visited often in my work. Anyone who's read my writing for any length of time can affirm this. I hit on this because it's simply that important, and I didn't recognize it myself uh, myself for far too long, uh, unfortunately. The church has often failed to be upfront in calling out more prolific evils in the world. On any given Sunday, you may hear from the pulpit condemnation of the sins of man, As it pertains to the word of God, if you've got a really spirit filled pastor, you may hear the accompanying message of grace as we seek to draw the the lost to new life in Christ. But then she goes on uh, the rest of the articles, basically saying, as all of this craziness is going on, she talks about what even way back uh, at the dawn of Hitler and the church being slow uh, to our politics now. uh, And she she talks about all these different pastors, uh, you know, Robert Jeffers or uh, Franklin Graham, uh, who speak out a lot. Uh, on behalf of the president. Uh, and so she's kind of saying, uh, where are the, where is the church? Why is the church silent? What is the church's role? Uh, which is a common thing we're hearing now. Uh, I may say something that you're going to really disagree with. <laughs> so be prepared. You ready for it? You ready for it here yeah, on a Friday? Man, let's, let's bring it. Uh, I think this is a, I think this is increasingly a straw man. That's not true. Which part? That the church is silent. Okay. Oh, wow. You agreed with me. No, nope. I don't. I did not agree with you. <laughs> I don't think that the church speaks out all the time for everything that everybody wants, but I don't know. So, again, uh, I'm going to speak from my own people around me. So that might be unfair. Just like it might speak more to the pastors that I'm in relationship it's with. Not fair. That's realistic. Whether it be online or in person, people I'm in charge. Sure. I don't know many pastors who aren't speaking out about stuff that they're passionate about. So, again, it's not everything. and You might not even agree with them. Uh, now the and the question is also what do you say from the pulpit? That's a that is also another deal that you and I talked earlier this week that is part of this that that might look different. I I don't see a, I don't see a silent church right now. Uh, again, maybe it's silent on things that, that that maybe it's not speaking on everything at all times. But I sense that the that the church is kind of. Uh, if it was silent, I feel like the church is kind of waking up, that there's a lot of conversations going on, that there's a lot of dialogue, that there's a lot of people online saying hard things, unpopular things. Um, and there's a lot of people um, on the other side kind of standing up for things that other people might have a problem with. I don't silence doesn't seem to be the problem to me right now. I, excuse me. You might think I'm 100 percent wrong about that. So what do you think is the problem right now? Then if it's not silence, do you think the church is actually speaking up too much? No, I think the church, uh, again, my experience right now is the church seems to be appropriately speaking up. Hmm. Um, and again, a lot of times it depends on what that particular pastor and congregation is most fired up about. I get that. Um, but I, I think she begins in this article to really paint a picture that the church is is scared and neutered and just kind of quiet and watching things go by. And I don't know. I I. I think the more that I hear that, the more I go, I just don't, 
feel like that's what I'm seeing going mm-hmm. on. But maybe I'm again, there could be people banging on their dashboard right now going, you are so <laughs> wrong. And I'm totally open to hearing that. But when I first read this, I was like, I don't know. It's kind of not what I feel right hmm. now going on around me, at least. What do you feel going on around you or what do you see as the greater landscape of, of Christendom? Yeah, my uh, my experience is probably a little more down the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had experiences, not the least of which have been even friends of mine who do lead churches and organizations that have told me in confidence. I actually really wish I could say something, but I'm interesting. I'm afraid of what that might do to our base. I'm afraid of the disunity that that might cause. And we mm. talked a little bit about this earlier in the week. And too. I've uh, said that kind of to you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Which is sometimes wisdom. You know, that, mm-hmm. that is the, that is the whole tricky thing about all of it is that how do we discern what's wisdom and what's cowardice? Sometimes they look very, very similar. And I think one of the things that has frustrated me, um, is the types of social media comments like, if your pastor doesn't say exactly this tomorrow, yep. leave. Yep. And I'm like, well, that's super tricky then because yep. we need people right and left, traditional progressive together, like working this stuff out together. We need, we need each other. And I think this, this just leave uh, sentiment can be with the exception of like extreme cases mm-hmm. um, that can, I can just leave both sides kind of atrophied. So that, that part concerns me. I think you have, I think there's some truth to what you were saying about so often when we make the big sweeping statements with the silence of the church, it's because they're silent on the topic that, that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I won't speak to any like specific instances right now, but I do think there are some topics or some violations though, that don't need to be quote our thing. Yes. But for someone to say, Hey, go easy on uh, my pastor because, um, you know, racism and talking about it's just not really his thing. <laughs> okay. Or like, let's, let's pick something maybe even more widely uh, shared by a Christian audience. Like, he's not really into the, talking about the poor. That's not our thing. That's mm-hmm. not our, well, I don't think you get to be a Jesus person and have that not be a pretty central part of the thing. Like that is, I totally get people have different leadership styles yeah, and, no, wirings, and we need each other in that regard too. But um, uh, yeah, my experience is, is, is probably about down the middle uh, with regards to not only pastors confessing to me, they wish they could speak out, but don't, but also brothers and sisters uh, predominantly of color that have felt yeah. unfortunately like their churches have been really silent and aren't, uh, there's no signs of addressing it in any kind of strategic way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, maybe we're, Sometimes when I read these articles and it paints with the broad brush, I think I get defensive, but it's, I understand, you know, uh, and also it's uh, her, her article does also feel like not just you need to speak up, but you need to speak up. in like you said, in the way that I want you to speak up, uh, as opposed to what if there's the pastor out there who's what is it okay that Robert Jeffers, in her opinion, is speaking up? She says, no, that's not the speaking up we're talking about. Yeah, it's only speaking up against what he's saying. That's, or others, that's so. a good point. Well, and, and one of the things that is, is really worth grappling with, too, is that if you die on every hill, you kind of yeah. die on none, no hills. And I think to for the sake of unity can be a really good motivator and to say we're going to keep the mission central. I just think we have to have honest conversations about yeah. what the mission entails. That's good. That's good. Well, we'd love to know what you think. Silence of the American Church is deafening as the name of the article. Uh, You can talk about it on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, we're going to have the opportunity to talk to Chad Ragsdale uh, and his passion, uh, Theology of Technology. Not only does that sound cool, uh, but I'm excited to have that conversation because in this day and age, it is a really important conversation for us to be having. That is next. Chad Ragsdale here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We're glad to be together. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show and uh, all sorts of other places. Well, we're excited to be joined on the phone uh, by Chad Ragsdale. Chad, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely. Chad is an assistant academic dean and professor of apologetics and philosophy at Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri. Uh, He's also a doctoral student at Talbot School of Theology. And what we want to talk to you about today is what your special interest is. It says here your special interest is in the theology of technology, which not only do I think sounds really cool, but uh, (laughs) could you explain a little bit what you mean by the theology of technology? Yeah, well, I, I guess I, the best place to start would be with Scripture. And um, in Second Corinthians 10, Paul exhorts us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Um, and one of the things that that verse surely means is that Paul is calling us to be thoughtful in a biblical, theological sort of way about our lives, about our world, about our culture, Um, And, you know, one of the things, one of the powers that culture has over us is when culture becomes invisible, Mm -hmm. when um, the the influences all around us become so commonplace um, that we fail to even notice them. It's sort of like the, you know, the old proverb about a fish in the water. The last thing that a fish notices is the water. And, And so I think the heartbeat of what Paul's saying there is as disciples in this world, we've got to be mindful of the world that we live in and and thoughtful about it from a biblical perspective. Hmm. And, you know, if you think about it, digital technology, especially over the last 10 years has become um, an almost invisible ever present part of our lives. Um, Sherry Turkle, who's a, she's a psychologist at MIT, um, the way she frames it up is that our relationship with digital technology is always on, never disconnected. Like we are always connected to, um, to our digital devices. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether it's, you know, you know, our smartphone or social media or whatever you want to say there, um, this this constant uh, presence of digital technology ha- has become so present that it's almost become invisible. Yeah. And so my my idea, or uh, it's not necessarily just my idea, but my my concern is that Christians aren't disciples aren't being as mindful and as thoughtful about how digital technology is changing our discipleship, changing Mm -hmm. our worship, um, you know, changing our experience of the community of God. We're not really giving it much thought because it's such a powerful presence in our lives. And so I'm interested in calling disciples, not necessarily giving them all the answers, not necessarily coming up with you know, 10 steps to rein in mm. social media and what, like, <laughs> no, what, what I really, what I want to call Christians too, is just to begin the process of thoughtfully and biblically engaging in the question of digital technology. Mm. How is digital technology changing the definition of being a human? Oh, that's interesting. So that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'll, I often say, particularly when talking about a theology of technology is that 
at least in my opinion, it's not good or bad, but it's also not neutral. Like technology is shaping us, yeah. whether whether That's we exactly right. whether we like it or not. And I was I was actually just reading recently about Jesus as the tecton, right? Like we te- you know we tend to translate that yeah. as carpenter, but he's a he's a he's a builder. He's a he's a technologist, and I think sure. What I, it's always fascinating me is like you know like in places like Second John where, where John's saying uh, I I want to say this to you, but I don't want to use pen and ink. I want to do it in person. In other places, right. where Paul's like. Uh, I want to do this in person, but it's probably better to do pen and ink. Like those are technologies. Like they yeah. understood yeah. the value of each in their right context. Like how do you yeah. apply some of what we see in scripture to a modern context where like what you said, it's the water we swim in now, mm-hmm. often yeah. unaware of its effect on us, unaware that it's shaping us whether we like it or not. Yeah. Well, and and that's where the, the, the thoughtful engagement becomes so important because you're right. Technology has always changed. Um, our fundamental understanding of reality. So you think mm. you think even about the invention of the mechanical clock. You know, there was a time before clocks existence, mm. and when the digital, or, I'm sorry, when the mechanical clock was first introduced, when it was invented, it changed the concept of time. Mm. Um, it made it turned time into a commodity. Whereas time before that never really existed as a commodity. Now all of a sudden people are thinking about time in radically different ways. And it's, it's difficult for us to even imagine a time before the mechanical clock. Right. Um, that's how much it's, it's changed our way of thinking. Or you think about the introduction of, you know, uh, airplanes or even automobiles and how mm. that's changed our conception of uh, space. You know, it's shrunk our understanding of space. Now it's to get in a car and drive to the other side of the country, yeah, it might take some time, but it's certainly not impossible right. within the realm of possibility. And and so ha- my question is, how is something like an iPhone or a smartphone in our pocket, how is that changing our understanding of information hmm. and our understanding of knowledge? Hmm. And, you know, from a Christian perspective, how is it changing our understanding even of what we expect of God? Do we expect God to operate like Google? Do we expect uh, God to operate like our smartphone? Right. What, how does that change our expectation of community? You know, when, when now we have the ability to go to church on Facebook and, and watch a streaming video on, on Facebook, how is that changing the nature of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ? Mm. And, and, you're right in what you say. Technology is neither good nor bad, but it's most definitely not neutral because it does change us. And, you know, you, you think about um, the early church. You know, Paul was only able to, to, to accomplish much of what Paul accomplished, in, in a physical sense anyway, um, because of certain technologies, like the Roman road system, for instance. Um, he was able to take advantage of that technology to travel in a way that previous generations never would have been able to travel. And back when I taught, I used to teach the book of Acts to undergraduate students. And I I would ask them the question, you know, what are the Roman roads in our day? Hmm. Well, the the Roman roads in our day is is, it's the internet, it's digital technology. It allows us literally to go to the other side of the planet um, just at the click of a button and that's that's obviously a great thing for the for the expansion of the gospel and for the expansion of Christian community and uh, just making the name of Jesus known. I mean, that's that can't be regarded as a bad thing. But with any technology, what I would what I would encourage people to ask 
is, is this question. What is this technology keeping us from doing? Mm. And what is this technology allowing us to do? Well, because good. technology establishes a, a horizon. And so take, for instance, a, a church that streams its Sunday morning um, worship on a platform like Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Well, I, I suppose there's ways to answer that in both, in both directions. But I think it's, it's better for us just to pause and reflect, okay, going to church on Facebook, how, what, what does that allow us to do that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise? Right. But also, what is that keeping us from being able to do um, because of the platform of social media? Mm. And it's, it's in that question paired with an understanding of Scripture Here's what scripture says the church should be about. Here's what scripture says discipleship should consist of. When we, when we ask that question in a biblical context, all of a sudden now we could have a good, we could have a good conversation about, well, maybe there are some things about a streaming worship service on Facebook that we should avoid because there are certain things about the body of Christ that you can't just digitize. Right. Um, but but maybe there's things about social media and, and, and digital technology. Maybe there are some things that we should embrace because making the name of Jesus famous around the world yeah. is accelerated by the... So you know what I said? It, it can't be either one or the other. It has to be a thoughtful engagement from the perspective of Scripture. Yeah. Chad, everything you're saying is fascinating. I wish we had more time. Do you have, where can yeah. people, where can people uh, get you? Are you uh, Twitter, Facebook, <laughs> speaking of, uh, speaking I, of technology? I have, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm on, I'm on both Twitter and Facebook, but I have much more of a presence on Twitter. Okay. Um, and so my Twitter handle is at C.A. Ragsdale, um, C.A. Ragsdale. And uh, I, I also have a podcast that I put out fairly regularly with two of my colleagues here at Ozark. Uh, and the podcast is actually called Every Thought Captive. And, uh, you know, we talk about issues like this and, and other issues that the other guys are interested in. So it's kind of a cultural apologetic type of podcast. And so uh, you can access me there as well. Awesome. Well, Chad, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. This and, fantastic. Uh, there's so yeah. much more to talk about. So maybe we'll have you on again sometime. But thank you. For the, sure. For th- sure. Thanks for joining us. Well, you're listening to The okay. Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. The Common Good Radio Show. The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Uh, you can find our podcast wherever you find your podcast. And, uh, yeah, we would love to hear from you. And uh, especially on Facebook and Twitter, we'd love to continue the conversation. Uh, Bachelorette and The Bachelor. Do you watch them? Does your wife watch them? They're on in the room. Let me. That does not answer the question. That's hard to get specific <laughs> she, she yeah she watches them but it, it, I, I do have to say though in her defense it is also kind of like a communal thing like she's got friends and her, her mom okay. watches it, so it's it's not just like this, a lot of bachelor and bachelorette parties going yeah right i don't know that they're at the party level yet but they like you know it's something that they talk about or whatever and yeah it's it is on in my house a good deal so when it is on in your house uh where is ian simpkins during that man my house is the size of this desk there's nowhere else to go i it's 
Are your are your eyes attentive to the television? Well, I have the laptop. I'm trying to get you, to, la- I'm just trying to get you to admit that you watched The Bachelor. <laughs> I really don't. But when we, when we were at Twin Lakes for the, those couple of days, I did watch one of the episodes with everybody because it's like what we were doing. So me yep. and my brother in law Mike had a, just sort of mystery science theater the whole thing, which I'm sure annoyed everybody. Else. I'm sure it did. And that was that part was fun. That's awesome. Well, you might be wondering why we're asking Wait, about. Do you I, watch it? Not at all. It's not even on in your house. It is not. Nowhere near? Nope. Oh. We watch a lot of bad reality TV. The Bachelor and The Bachelor is, not, is one not one of them. 90 and Day not Fiance? Bad, not bad. I mean, when I say bad, I mean we watch a lot of reality TV. Survivor, my kids love to watch. Gotcha. Amazing race. But okay. I believe when The Bachelor very first came out, Carrie, and, but I think it was probably before kids even, Carrie and I tried to watch it, and it was immediately like, no. <laughs> this isn't for us. No. You don't watch 90 Day Fiance or Who any of that? this? <laughs> I won't even get into it. It sounds pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> it is. So I'm married at first sight. People meet at the altar. So I remember the very first time Fox did that one, like where they had to marry without ever having. And it was like, I am watching a train wreck. Like I'm watching. Well, that's the whole formula. I know. I know. But it was like, wow, now we've really. Does that still happen? Oh, yeah. But I will say my my uh, my wife, who has worked in clinics and schools, she she's really interested in human behavior. And yeah. so she. Has made a pretty compelling case for some some of this reality TV, you know, the my four hundred pound life or six hundred pound life. She watches hoarders for that reason. She's really interested in really? like the the psychology behind why someone makes these decisions or what got them to that place in the in the first place. Which I I, I don't know. I yeah. think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I am not judging your wife at all. I am judging Appreciate you. That. I understand. <laughs> I get that. That's fair. That's fair. So a reason we're talking about the Bachelor and the Bachelorette is because. So when this article says last Tuesday, did it end last Tuesday? Or are we talking a week or two? Know. Oh, Listen, I thought you just watched the end of it at the Twin Lakes I or something. I watched one of oh, the endings. Okay. I think it's a two-parter. Okay. I'm embarrassed at how much of this information I So know. this article says last Tuesday. It says viewers around the country gathered around their screens, eager to watch the drama unfold. Some were watching the Democratic presidential debate. Some were tuned into the season finale of ABC's The Bachelorette. Throughout this season, Hannah Brown, age 24, has tried to find Mr. Wright from a group of 22 men in front of millions of viewers, and an exchange with one contestant went viral. It happened in an episode from mid-July when Luke, described in his Bachelorette bio as, quote, a good Christian boy from Gainesville, Georgia, questioned Brown's morality in light of her past sexual relationship. She responded, I have had sex and Jesus still loves me. So this is the viral thing that's been going around. This exchange sparked a conversation about sex positivity and slut shaming. Uh, Brown tells NPR she's received a lot of support as well as a lot of criticism. I'm excited to be able to use my platform to continue talking to people about these topics that I had to deal with on national television. Yeah, gosh. That could not have been fun. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, And so... um, you know, on her Christian background informs her views on sexuality. She says it's tough because my faith is really important to me. I do know the Bible and I do know what it says and I still stand by what I said, but a lot of people will try to sway what it actually means. I just feel like it was a big topic to take on for me, but I'm in it and I will continue to talk about it. Uh, Interestingly on the topic of premarital sex, she says, uh, when I said I've had sex and Jesus still loves me, I don't mean that I don't have a moral code and I can do whatever I want with whoever I want at whatever time I want. And I can just lean back on, oh, he forgives us. Jesus still loves me. I'm not perfect. And I think for a long time, any time I made a mistake, uh, I would put guilt and shame on myself. I do believe that the Lord, she writes, intended for sex to be the confines of marriage. But that's not so for a lot of people. I used to carry a lot of shame because I had had sex before. And in that moment of being questioned, I felt like, here's this crazy. 
I felt like I was right back in church, just feeling like I was not enough. Oh man! So as you read all this, just there's a lot here because you and I both grew up in uh in you know for what's being called the purity culture, right? A lot of um, uh, true love weights and all that stuff, and and there seems to be a, a particular scarlet letter for premarital sex that that there's there's some pendulum shifting right now. But anyway, just wondering what you think about all of this that she said. Slut shaming. As it's depicted here, any definition, any manifestation mm-hmm. of it makes me so angry and so frustrated. Yeah. And I think about a number of encounters with Jesus in the New Testament where th- nothing could be further yeah. from his depiction, his posture towards people with all different sorts of pasts and histories. And I just think, Man, if the church can't, we talked about this earlier this week, yep. I think one, I think I really think one of the modern enemies to Christian faith is shame. Yes. And unfortunately, she kind of touched on it. Often the church isn't just silent toward it. It's the proponent of it. Mm. It is perpetuating sometimes unknowingly, but sometimes very knowingly. Yeah. And I do appreciate part of what she was saying about like, I'm not saying I don't have a moral code or that I can just go, whoopsie, I, he still loves me. I also think, and this is maybe... A whole other topic for another time. Put it on the list. We don't have a great, robust Protestant theology of sexuality either. Mm. I know that uh, the Catholic Church historically has written some things. Some popes have, have done some contributed some pretty incredible bodies of work, but there's not a lot in a in a Protestant evangelical line of thinking to even help frame some of this out. So we end up with some kind of reductionistic either mm. shame, guilt, and all of that, or just sort of licensed to well. I guess I'm forgiven, so it doesn't really matter. Right. And she, again, she's being very clear that's not the place that she's living. Um, but I would love for us to, like you were saying, even you know, in conservative purity culture, culture churches, there there wasn't a whole lot of like necessarily space to have the questions about what about the people in the youth group right now? Yes, who have? I mean, they're they're feeling an amount of shame right now that we aren't addressing. And I think, have you seen the Matt Chandler video from years ago where he? brought a friend of his to some it's unbelievable it's i we should put, post the link so you can watch it in its entirety but you know with the broken flower yeah where they yeah. passed the rose around and the big conclusion was now who would want this and he was like jesus wants it that's the whole point of the gospel yeah. and he talks about there being you know being there with a friend of his that was just feeling really beat up in life and yeah i think sometimes the church really misses the mark here and and grace wants nothing to do with shame and it's unfortunate that there's still so much here, but I do kind of, I give her props for having this kind of platform and saying, yeah, I, I, I I believe that that wasn't the best for me and, but that Jesus does forgive me and I want to walk in a different way going forward. And, uh, I I think that that's not bad. I just think the tragic line in here is what you're getting at. In that moment of being questioned, I felt like I was right back in church, just feeling like I was not enough. And that's what I meant. Yeah. because, you know, everyone wants to say, like, no, there's, there's, you know, you shouldn't have sex before you're married. Mar- sex was made for marriage. Like, all of us agree to that. The question is, uh, with all sin, people fall. People do this. Uh, and what do you do with it? And all too often with this particular uh, topic, the church has really come down with a lot of shame and a lot of scarlet letter, right, if mm. you will. And as opposed to healing and um, and grace and and restoration. And the question becomes kind of why, you know, uh, why has that been the case? And now you're seeing just a lot of pushback about, well, a lot of pushback about it yeah. um, in a lot of writings. Well, and if you're, if you're listening to, and, and you're in any way identifying in any capacity with 
this shame, this feeling like you're unusable or unlovable, yes. please know nothing, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth yes. and that God cares not just about some like future destination of our souls, but like our mind, body, spirit here and now. And that that's part of the restoration, part of the good news of Jesus, that there, there is life and healing and meaning and purpose right here. And that, you know, when he says there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that's not just, he's not just speaking metaphorically or philosophically. That is freedom and identity and wholeness and shalom right Mm. here. And now, regardless of whatever, baggage or mistakes or error that you feel like you're bringing to the table. Jesus just takes care of all of that entirely and walks with us into a new future, which is just tremendously good news. that I think sometimes the church honestly forgets. Ian has preached to us. That's good (laughs) stuff, man. That is good. I got nothing else to add to that. Uh, That is just really good news that you uh, were able to share with us very clearly there. Uh, I feel weird now going into our next segment, uh, but we end every show. Uh, with just craziness we found on the internet. So that's how we're going to close out this week next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. The way we end every show and we're ending the week is just with craziness we have found. Not we, but PJ. P, good old PJ. Producer John PJ. has I'm found I'm not putting my name us. on this one. This one's all Keith. These last two days will oh, be Keith. Oh, this is no. going to get crazy Did then. Did you catch the license plate of the bus you just threw him under? Yeah. My goodness <laughs> yep. There's going to be a lot of Florida in Did here. Did you see the joy? There's going to be lots of cringing. <laughs> no, the smile on his face when he walks in to give you guys these stories no, or he no, gives no, no, them to no. me. He gets... He's, it's, it's not it's a smile, joy. it's a smirk. That's it, a very, it it's a very different it's a expression. It's a Mr. Burns smirk, yes. It is. I can't Excellent. wait to watch you squirm. So. Can, can it, I ask, you've not called these interweb insanities once since we, since we uh, originally came up with the title. Let us, uh, let us go with the interweb insanity that is uh, Keith's Kickers. Here we go. You go first. Oh, you want me to go first? I do, because That's... guess where it's coming from? Florida! Oh. Man accused of stalking sent woman 10,000 texts. Oh, gosh. Investigators say a Florida man sent a woman 10,000 text messages over 12 days. I don't 12 think, days? I couldn't even type that quickly. Uh, Broward County Sheriff's officials say many of the texts sent by 48-year-old Nicholas Nelson were, oh, geez, sexually explicit and threatening. An arrest affidavit says the woman knows Nelson through a friend but I'd rarely spoken to him when the text began arriving April 5th. This one is sad. The South Florida Sun Sentinel, Centennial, Sentinel, Sentinel reports in one exchange. Nelson sent a picture of what appeared to be an airport parking ticket and said he would start blowing up planes to prove his point. Oh my gosh. Nelson was arrested in Georgia and returned to Florida on Saturday. He asked Broward judge Jackie Powell to lower his $500,000 bond on aggravated stalking assaults. Powell, kept the bond in place saying she believes there's cause for concern who are you texting 50 times a day i decay my bff gel <sighs> that's we are starting off dark you were right to give that one to me yep. you've been oh uh, he was right to tell us he came from Hence that's why i Every, disclaimed yeah. before we began everyone's yes. right canada Police used taser to capture escaped emu oh, in British Columbia. Don't do that. Police in British Columbia said they used a taser to subdue an escaped emu running wild in the middle of a busy road. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police said the five-foot-tall flightless bird escaped from a farm on Tuesday and fled into the middle of a busy nearby road, causing major traffic disruptions. Animal control officers were summoned to the scene, and authorities determined the bird was acting too aggressively to approach, leading them to use the stun gun on the emu. The emu was taken to the property of Jim Dyke, a neighbor of the animal's owner who was out of town until 
next week. The emu was uninjured. Don't tase me, bro. Don't tase me. <laughs> I was wondering when we were going to get a don't tase me, bro. Uh, this one's out of England. Couple credits Hungry Cat for $1.2 million lottery jackpot. Where is this one going? A British couple said they have their Hungry Cat to thank for their winning a $1.2 million jackpot from a scratch-off lottery ticket. Andrew and Paula Hancock of Mansfield, England, said Andrew had to run out to a local gas station July 24th when they realized they had forgotten to pick up food for their six-year-old cat, Shortcake. <laughs> <laughs> While at the Esso fuel station in Ollerton, Andrew bought a Monopoly Millionaire scratch-off ticket and ended up scratching off a $1.2 million top prize. The couple said Andrew was so excited to be a millionaire that he forgot Shortcake's food for a second time, but the lucky cat was treated to a dinner of ham to celebrate the family's good fortune. Bravo! That'll be hard to top. I pity the next tale of interest. That's like, the, he didn't have one to go with that one. Yes, I'm also <laughs> a little mad for the cat that the cat got ham. He got ham. That was his big reward. It doesn't even say good ham. Uh, my last one comes from Florida. Man uses roach spray, nunchucks, to quiet down neighbors. <laughs> That would work on me. Daytona, poli- Daytona Beach police say they've arrested a man on suspicion. He used nunchucks and roast spray, a roach spray on his neighbors. Uh, officers say Larry Adams intentionally sprayed five people and oh threatened my. to shoot them. No. Okay. Oh. This is... Two witnesses told police they originally left their apartment to tell neighbors to lower the volume of the music coming from a car outside their building. The people inside the car told officers they were celebrating the 18th birthday of one of them. Adams also left his apartment around 1 a.m. and was verbally combative with the group by the car. The victims told police Adams cursed and made threats to the group, even threatening to shoot them. The group began to argue with Adams, and that's when the 61-year-old pulled out a can and sprayed the neighbors with roach spray. Adams then proceeded to threaten the victims with nunchucks. The victims evaded the attack, and instead, Adams struck the car. The nunchucks bounced back and struck him in the forehead. (laughs) Adams opted to call 911, as did two of the victims. Officers said they found him. With a small cut to the forehead. Hidely ho, neighborinos. <laughs> I thought we were going to get some. Uh, I thought we were going to get some uh, Napoleon Dynamite there with nunchucks. Oh yeah, what's the nunchuck line? I just, uh, he, he, oh, he don't do this to me. You, yeah. Do you know the line? I don't. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But I thought that's what we were going to. PJ, get. do you know the line? I, I know exactly where it is in the movie. I can't think of. You're telling me you chimed in to tell us you don't know the line. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Peach. Okay, guys, just real quick. I, I need my I 15 you know, minutes. I also, I I also don't know the I one. I want you to know I have no idea. <laughs> Thanks, Peach. All right, last but not least, Georgia. Coca-Cola cinnamon coming this holiday season. Nope. Gross, gross, gross. Yep. Coca-Cola is hoping by the end of next month you'll be ready to abandon your pumpkin spice lattes and jump into some winter flavors. The soft drink company is planning to launch a version of its iconic soda flavored with... Cinnamon on September 13th. If you're wondering how it tastes, cola aficionados in the UK have already given it the thumbs up. Coca-Cola Zero Sugar was such a big hit in the UK last year. The company decided to bring it stateside. There's no word on whether we'll get the Zero Sugar version, a full sugar version, or perhaps both. One thing we do know, it will be for a limited time only. But your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That was a great drop to end on. Ended on well. Have a great weekend, man. Hey, thanks. Likewise. It's been a fun weekend. We hope you all have a great weekend as well for Ian Simpkins and producer John PJ. Oh, PJ. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.